Please do uh, sit down and uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn please to Mark's Gospel and chapter 8. Not Matthew's Gospel as we had an interesting um, kind of bit of fun uh, this morning. It's Mark's Gospel and chapter 8. Always um, quite interesting how churches respond to things going wrong, isn't it? This is a good church to make mistakes in. And off the back of uh, our thinking about seeing things clearly, um, that made it even more ironic and quite humorous, I have to say, that we were looking at the wrong book. But Mark chapter 8, and beginning uh, from verse 22. So uh, it, just imagine your, your, uh, your Mark, you're writing uh, about the good news of Jesus. He seems to have something quite key and pivotal to say right in the middle of his chapter that wasn't just central to the book but central really in a thematic sense as to maybe the overall purpose there's something by way of a miracle but then there's something very different but very very poignant and the two I believe hang uh, together starting at verse 22 they came that's Jesus and his disciples to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, well, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Some manuscripts actually say, don't go and tell anyone in the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about what God looks like. I can uh, remember hearing a story of a uh, a teacher that was at school with an infant school class and she invited the class to draw a picture about anything that they wanted whatsoever. Uh, 
And so, of course, the children got their crowns out and were drawing different things. And teacher did what teachers tend to do, which is wander around the class and then do that awful thing of looking over your shoulder. Can you remember that awful uh, sense that you would have when the teacher was looking, peering down over your shoulder? Well, one particular little boy, the teacher was rather intrigued and, and she said, that's an interesting picture. What's your picture of? My picture is of God, said the little boy. Ah, said the teacher, but nobody actually knows what God looks like. They will do when I finish my picture, (laughs) said the little boy. Beautiful response. True story. But I guess that little boy was trying to picture and capture what so many people that you would have had conversations with try to do and capture something of who is this God if he is there and what might he indeed look like maybe like Michelangelo's painting in the Sistine Chapel depicting a grey bearded man floating through the clouds with a host of angels attending others see him seated seated on a throne but surrounded by clouds others maybe might see God as being on a judge's bench with a scowl and pointing his finger accusingly right at them that doesn't come close to the biblical view of God Augustine was one of the great Christian theologians who ever lived he died not long after the fall of the Roman Empire in 410 AD legends suggest that he was once asked by one pagan who held up an idol to him and sarcastically said, Here is my God, where is yours? To which Augustine apparently replied, I cannot show you my God, not because he doesn't exist, but because you have no eyes to see him. Well, of course, in one sense, we can't truly see God uh, before anybody sends me an email to remind me of what scripture teaches about you won't be able to see God. You can't set your eyes upon God. I'm very uh, aware of that. God is spirit and spirits are by nature invisible. God is holy as well. We've sung uh, already this evening um, about that, haven't we? That sense of God's holiness. And for ourselves as mere human beings to try and see him would be like trying to focus our eyes on that midday sun. Yet it is possible for us to see and have a sense of God in another way, isn't it? We're aware of the glare of the sun but also we can see everything else by its light. We can see the impact of the light all around. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, there is a way to see God. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. We see but in part and we we kind of recognise that. There are some glimpses uh, that we have. Like Moses, we can maybe capture a, a glimpse of his glory. Maybe something of what Shirley experienced this morning that sent a a, a tingle down her spine was an element of that. Whether rooted in human means or, or other, Shirley's first thought was that wow factor and something of God's presence. Others would have, uh, and you may well be one of those people, you've been in a particular meeting or you've been on your own as you've poured out your worship or your heart's desire to the Lord and, and there's nobody else there necessarily, but you've had a sense 
of being able to see, in inverted commas, God. God be there with you. You know that he's real. You can't deny the reality of that. It's right that we go back to God's word to see how God is depicted there. Maybe we can think of being at the Garden of Eden where God walked through the Garden of Eden. There was that sense of his physical manifestation there uh, on earth in Genesis chapter 3. Or as fire and cloud that as God appeared uh, in terms of leading God's people in Exodus chapter 13 and elsewhere. Or in the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. You can think of of other uh, citations I'm sure. And then we have of the word that became flesh in John chapter 1. And Jesus himself saying those who've seen the father. Uh, so those who've seen me have seen uh, the Father. Something of that person of Jesus that they were looking at. Well, now you've seen God through the Son. And finally for ourselves. A couple of things that Paul also said to that church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. He says, we, and that's the church are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, Don't you now know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit lives in you? Something of God that is within each and every one of us. We know that we've been made in God's image, yes, but that image we know has been marred by by the fall, by our own sinfulness. Yet when we are redeemed, when we come back into relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something that God begins to do. But certainly it's presencing himself within us. So how might God, uh, God be seen? Well, there is that opportunity, an element where God is able to be seen through the likes of you and me. In theory, at least, we ought to be the visible representation of God in the world today. Maybe you can think of different individuals that have had a particular impact on uh, your life. Uh, I was here yesterday, and uh, as was Sarah all day, um, for the different events that were going on here. And there was a group upstairs um, from the organisation Safe Families that we're partnering with and they're helping us to know how we might better need and meet the needs of uh, local families that get referred to us, which is amazing. They're a Christian organisation. And uh, there was a variety of people that were upstairs and, uh, and one of the couples go to a church in, uh, in Weymouth. And uh, it's at the church where John Greening uh, used to be the assistant pastor. John Greening is Thelma's uh, son. Thelma, one of our deacons who plays uh, piano. So we were talking about uh, their memories of John, who's now pastor of a Baptist church in Wilton. And we're sharing about knowledge of Thelma and of, uh, uh, and of Thelma's late husband, uh, David. Uh, I knew David very well. And, and I can remember saying to them, I said, well, actually, I've used this uh, as an illustration countless times before. But if I was going to name five people that best depicted what Jesus was like that I've experienced, David Greening would be one of those. An incredible, lovely, lovely man that just oozed what I don't seem to have, that he just had naturally and in abundance. 
And you may well be able to think of, of other individuals where people have so I- impacted your life. And it's nothing other than God's spirit in them. Wouldn't it be great if someone said that about you or about me? There's the potential for, for that to be true for each one of us, isn't there? If we have God's spirit within. Wow. It may well be this coming year as we think about where we're going as a year that's with it now being 2020. A new year. A new decade. There's going to be 2020 lots of things. 2020 vision is going to come to the fore. And we've picked up on that as we've thought about a theme uh, for the year. And we want our own vision to be shaped by our being able to see God more clearly. Which is why we're looking at this, at these few verses in Mark chapter uh, 8. So our theme for the year, which you may well have seen on our welcome sheet, is 2020 vision, seeing God Clearly, that's where we want to go. We want to be those people who have captured something and are able to capture something afresh of what God looks like and then be so impacted that we are in a better place to reflect him to those we know. So what about that, uh, that man uh, that was, uh, I mentioned this morning, I think about there being a blind man, not a man that fixes blinds, but he was uh, blind. I, I wonder what you understood of that passage. Uh, it is a very strange uh, story, a very strange account, if you go through it bit by bit and think about what it was that was going on here. A variety of commentators have understood this passage in different uh, ways. Uh, one, and it's, this isn't a, a, a readily quoted um, understanding of the passage, but one commentator said, well, maybe the reason that the man couldn't see clearly, first of all, after Jesus had spat in his eyes, was because Jesus spat in his eyes and he still had spit in his eyes. Now, it may well be that we think, well, I don't think that's very likely. But as we think about what the options are, that may well be an option. Another option may be that this was a very tough case of blindness. There was maybe the Bartimaeus blindness where Jesus just healed him instantly. But then there was the Bethesda blindness that we have here in chapter 8. And that was a lot tougher. So maybe that took two attempts. That's maybe an option people have uh, cited. Or another option, could it be that Jesus was making a statement about modern medicine? There is a condition apparently called agnosia, where a person is able to see, but the brain is not communicating with the eyes. They see, but not clearly. And some have suggested that maybe Jesus was letting us know that he knew about this medical condition, but before anyone else knew about it. But would Jesus have made such a point that wasn't going to come to the fore uh, for maybe 2,000 years? Or another um, option could well be that Mark, Mark has placed this account right here in the middle of his story because there's a far deeper point that he's trying to make. We, uh, we have a variety of different viewpoints in the Christian church about healing, don't we? And uh, not all of those uh, sit side by side. And it may well be here, if we were going to be honest about our own viewpoint, that we wouldn't all agree. That's okay. One thing is certain. Every person that Jesus healed died. In fact, there has to be something that's more important than a physical healing. However powerful and amazing that is. And certainly we want to give 
glory to God for that which he did through the Lord Jesus here. But maybe, just maybe, there's something far deeper that uh, Mark is wanting us to understand through not just that, that healing passage, but what was connected following. Some people brought him to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Uh, We don't know if the man was willing or not. You may well have been at spring harvest or a different event like that. And you've been the person that your neighbor that's brought you there has nudged you saying you should go forward at this event. Or maybe you've nudged somebody else that, oh, that's a message for you. Uh, And maybe with a sense of reluctance, you've gone. But we don't know if this guy was reluctantly going to Jesus or not. The, the, uh, the, The scripture doesn't tell us in verse 22. Jesus then does maybe what you and I haven't done when we've been asked to pray for somebody who is unwell. Now that sounds awfully graphic, but I think we need to remind ourselves of what this would have been like. Can you imagine being there, seeing what had occurred, or hearing? It's nothing but quite repulsive, isn't it, when you think about this? And the only way we can get our heads around this is, well, we better let him off because it's Jesus. But it doesn't seem to make any sense to us, does it, at first glance, when Jesus could have just touched the man or given a word and this guy would have been healed. We believe that. But then Jesus says, as he takes him out of, outside of the city, uh, do, do you see anything? Now, was Jesus, in all honesty, questioning himself about maybe he was losing it and maybe he was extra tired maybe that sense of anointing was no longer there oh this might not work I've not done this before is that what was going on it's a valid question uh, to ask the man sees but not totally so Jesus puts his hands onto the man's eyes again and verse 25 simply reads He saw everything clearly. There's a partial seeing and then there is a complete seeing, a seeing of everything. Now just hold that there because of what immediately follows afterwards. Mark then records the theme that is central to his gospel, namely who Jesus is. And you may well have heard a number of evangelistic challenges where this has been referenced. Who do people say Jesus is? And then the preacher will say probably with Bible in one hand and pointing a finger in the other. And who do you say Jesus is? And that's a valid challenge when the gospel confronts us like that because it's a question that each of us have to answer. People say different things today and people were saying different things back then. Unsurprisingly, it's Peter that pipes up first. Oh, 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 me please, me please, hand up. You're the Messiah, verse 29. And he's exactly right. Yes is the answer to that. Top of the class. But then Jesus says, don't go into the village or don't go into the village and tell anyone. That kind of doesn't sit comfortably with us, does it? When this same Jesus said to those same disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Great commission, go into all the world. 
and tell people about me. We think, hang on a minute, why is he saying then, now that they know who he is, don't say anything. What's all that about? Before Peter then gets too smug, Jesus explains what as Messiah, that was the right answer, Peter saw. Jesus then explains this is what Messiah will do. Torture, persecution, death, crucifixion. What does Peter say? Uh, 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 No, 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 no. Uh, No, no. That is not going to happen to you, Jesus. You are the Messiah. You, You receive that title, that accolade. You are the one. I've seen. What does Jesus say? He's not exactly gentle, is he? And pastoral with his response. Get behind me, Satan. I dread to think of how a member of our church would respond if if actually I spoke to him like that. But Jesus did. Because Peter, although he saw, he did not see everything clearly. Do you see maybe what was going on before? He wasn't able to see everything clearly. He thought he knew best, but immediately fell from top of the class to the bottom. Peter was able to see that Jesus was the Messiah, but he did not see everything clearly. That was why I believe Jesus told them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, because he knew that people uh, uh, that otherwise they'd be telling people what? Hey, the Messiah's come. Here's someone who's going to overthrow Rome. Yes, the Messiah has come. He's received that title. I've got it right. I'm top of the class. Let's spread the word. Jesus did not want that message to go out because that was not the message of the gospel, was it? They saw, but they did not see everything clearly. And as a reminder that there can be those two levels, Mark puts those writings into his gospel immediately after that miraculous healing of that man who was blind And then initially saw, but then after a second touch, saw everything clearly. And we were thinking this morning about whether or not we see or we see everything clearly. The last thing Jesus wants is for them to go out and share with people an unclear picture of him. Their idea of Jesus, not the real Jesus. Just like the blind man from Bethesda, they see, but they don't see him clearly. And it's from this moment onwards that Mark begins to tell his readers about the reason why Jesus came. That it had nothing to do with overflowing Rome or no kind of political thing at all, but rather to seek and save the lost. Now, you and I know that because we've got the rest of the Gospels that we can look back at to see that. They did not know that. They weren't privy to that. So it was revealed about this Jesus being Messiah, but they didn't get the full picture of what that meant. And sometimes we maybe see, but we don't see everything clearly. Sometimes it's possible for us to see who Jesus is, but feel that in seeing who Jesus is, It's more spiritual if the chairs are this way round than that way round. Are you with me? Have a think over these coming days about what additional things we ship in 
that we think we're seeing everything clearly. But we've probably brought other things in, in addition to an authentic, unadulterated gospel. That's our invitation as we seek to journey together, me included. Do we see clearly or have we another picture of Jesus? A picture that assumes all will be saved. A picture that says there isn't really a hell. A picture that says we're all meant to be prosperous. A picture that says that if we have enough faith, then we'll all be made well. A picture that says, well, if there is a God who loves me, then surely he's not ever going to let me go and experience suffering do we see or do we see everything clearly i know i've got a long way to go if it makes it any easier for you so i was thinking this through through this week i'm very much in the first category but desperately eagerly wanting to be in the latter category hence the journey that we're seeking to take through uh, this year Uh, And now I will repeat the story that I shared this morning. So five of you, I think it is, who are here this morning are going to uh, need to just kind of like sit on this while I I just share what I shared with people uh, this morning because the majority weren't uh, weren't here uh, this morning because you'll probably want to know what happened to the man uh, who was blind, won't you? Uh, Well, apparently he'd been having issues, relationship issues with his girlfriend, Lorraine. And uh, been very confused as to why she'd left him. But after those, these events took place, uh, one of his friends asked him why he was now uh, smiling. He simply said, I can see clearly now Lorraine has gone. <laughs> Boom! There you go. Did you get that? Did you get that? Somebody did say you ought to say that again this evening as well. So there you go. For those of you who weren't there this morning, I worked really hard on that one. This is what is key for us. We're being invited, each one of us, me included, on this journey with the Lord to say, God, would you help us to see you more clearly? Jesus was with his disciples about 25 miles from Caesarea. On the way, he was discussing uh, something with them that that is really, really important about who he is. And we we looked uh, at that briefly. It's got there in verse 27, three words. On the way. Now, we can brush over that as if that's just a, a journey statement. Interestingly, those three words do not appear... In Mark until chapter 8 verse 27. Now you might say so what? Well here's why this is significant. Because from verse 27 in chapter 8 onwards. Up to the end of chapter 12. When we then get to the the, the finality of Jesus life. That phrase occurs nine times. Nine times. There's a wowness of what Mark begins to teach. From Mark chapter 8 verse 27. That from here on in. Jesus is now on the way. He's on the way. Not to Caesarea Philippi or any other geographical place. He's on the way to do what he came to do. Are we able to see that? Were the disciples able to see that? When did they capture hold of that? Of the plan and purpose of the Lord Jesus. I hope that you want to be on the way with us to seeing God clearly. 2020 vision, seeing God clearly. So over the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to be going through 10 
different values that we hold dear as a church. These values you may well have had conversations with me about when uh, those of you are part of the church and we talked about what membership means. Uh, they're values that's there that aren't just lifted out of nowhere. Back in 2004, we went through what it meant to be a church. And the only way you get to realise that is to see what God did right all the way back in Acts chapter 2. When there was that champagne cork uh, moment at Pentecost, we call it, where God just poured out that deluge of, of his Holy Spirit upon that mixed match group of people. And the rest, they say, is history. As then, following on from that, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 get saved and baptised. And, and then you see through the journey of Acts... The development of, the establishment of, and the growth of the early church. What were the recurring themes and values and principles that we actually get as we journey through? It was those that we lifted. uh, They became ten values about what was significant for us as a church. Things like believing. That's a good place to start, isn't it? So that's what we're going to look at next week. Believing, worshipping, praying, growing. Giving, transforming, supporting. That's about, what's that, seven of them? That's not too bad. Witnessing, that's another one. Ten of them. We're using different words and we're going to unpack these in different ways. But it's going, in one sense, back to basics. Say, God, we want to see you more clearly so that we might become the people that we want to be. May uh, it be that people see something clearer of who God is through the way that we speak through the way that we live. And may it be that together as church, we have that clearer understanding of who God is. May well not change all of our difficult situations, but it will grant to us a better perspective as to how we handle and face these as we move on together. Let's come to God in prayer. As we pray, I'm going to firstly read the words of a hymn. God, fill thou our lives in every part with praise, that our whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. Not for the lip of praise alone, Not even the praising heart we ask but for a life made up of praise in every part. Praise in the common things of life, its goings out and in. Praise in each duty and each deed, however small and mean. God, fill every part of us with praise. Let all our beings speak of thee and of thy love, O Lord. Poor though we are, the poor though we are and weak. So shall you, Lord, from us, even us, receive thy glory due. And so shall we begin on earth the song forever new. So shall no part of day or night from sacredness be free, but all our lives in every step be fellowship with thee. Father, we thank you for those who've helped us capture something of who God is and what you are like.
We want to be those people, Lord God, that people are talking about there being something that they've captured of you through something of us. And we don't want to say that in a glib way so that we feel good about ourselves, but rather we want to do this and say to God, be the glory. God, you live in the heart and mind of each believer. May it be that the reality of our experience with you is what comes to the fore. Forgive us when our own selfishness, sinfulness and our own agendas comes to the fore. God, we pray that you'd have so much more of us than as yet we have permitted or allowed. Holy Spirit, use us to this end. And help us as we seek to grow together too. As we together seek to see God more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.